Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part three of episode 21, where we revisit and rank Casino Royale. With Bond not being able to buy back into the poker game, he tries to take measures into his own hands and runs into a certain CIA agent. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Casino Royale to our rankings. So Bond is at the bar and he sees Lashif across the room um, with his girlfriend and other people. Seems to be enjoying himself walking through. So Bond gets a bit mad and he picks up a knife, picks up a sharp knife from one of the table and storms off. And he runs into Mathis and Mathis is like, hey, and he's all like, get get the girl out, get the girl out of here. And Bond is just storming across. Um, so he then leaves the bar to kind of chase after uh, Lashif. And the American man that was at the table before grabs his arm, stops him at the top of these stairs just before Bond goes to leave. And he kind of introduces himself. I'm Felix Leiter. Oh. Hey. Uh, I think he says with the CIA, he says like, we're on the same side here. Um, yeah. Brother from Langley, I want to say. Yeah. Is that like a military thing? It I rings guess, a bell. Maybe it's where CIA is. I don't know. That Langley yeah. rings a bell though. So. Yeah, introduces himself, Felix Leiter, CIA, and he sees the knife and Felix is saying like, oh, I, I think you have him. I think you could win this. But Bond says, I'm not buying back in. And Felix is like, thinks about this a little bit. And he says probably my favorite line in the film, not because I think it's a great line, but it's the one I remember the most where he's all like, I'm not doing very well here. I'm bleeding chips. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way he says everything in this in this scene. It's like so... It's just cool the way he says stuff. Yeah, like he's trying to be quiet. quiet. Yeah, he's trying to be quiet and whisper it, but he's not really whispering it. So it's like, "Mm, you're not buying back in. I'm bleeding chips. (laughs) Brother from Langley. Langley. (laughs) (laughs) Great voice. So he says, because he's bleeding chips, um, he thinks Bond has a better chance to beat him. So he says, we'll give you the money. We will, you know, we'll pay for you to buy back into the game. But on the agreement that the CIA brings him in, brings in Lashif. So Bond wins the game, and then the CIA will arrest Lashif and get all the credits. And Bond then asks about, what, what about the money? And Felix is like, do we look like we need the money? Um, so that was Felix, and yeah, this is the, the version of Felix we get throughout here, and ah, uh, I really like this Felix. Yeah, he's great, he's great. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, I think is the actor's name. Mm. He's a great actor, and like even just this tiny scene we've just spoke about him, yeah, such an impression and is a, yeah, is a great match for Bond, I think. Because also he's not crazy, like, older or younger. And it kind of is more <laughs> believable as well that they would they would become friends. Yeah, you're like, you instantly buy that. But it's nice because we have seen this. We have seen Felix throughout. Like, he is one of the people on the table. Because everyone on the table looks quite distinct. And Felix is actually sitting, like, right near both Bond and the Sheaf. So I think it was very smart that he was part of that last hand to first of all sell the idea of him bleeding chips, that's important, um, but also that you see him, you see him quite a bit. So this reveal that actually, A, I'm part of the CIA and actually another plant, which is awesome, that in itself is very cool, that Bond is not the only one here who has alternative motives, um, or is someone from an organisation trying to take down the sheave, but also B, that it's Felix, and Felix is now back, and it's uh, it's an element of Bond that kind of goes all over the place. We didn't really get Felix for Piers Brosnan, but he was an important part of the books and he was an important part of a lot of the films. So bringing him in for a reboot and having him be a new actor, 
incredibly smart and they pick someone as you say jeffrey wright just brings this really great energy to it this cool guy energy but cocky and you can really buy straight away them going back and forth with such a small bit of dialogue between the two you really buy it um this kind of mutual respect so it's all it's all very well done and it's kind of why this guy is probably the best felix by far out of all of them oh yeah i mean they they give him the most kind of care out of all the felixes so that helps too. I was just trying to think. I haven't, as I say, I haven't read the book Casino Royale. I'm assuming he's not in it, and this is for just the film. Um, I think it? he might be. Oh, is he in it? Okay. Oh, actually, maybe not. Because I want to say Live and Let Die was the second book, right? And I think Felix is definitely in that because of the shark right. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So maybe oh. yeah, you might be right, but I would think that if they would. Yeah, I don't know. I shouldn't say. No. I do have the book right next to me. <laughs> have a quick flip through. Have a no. quick flip. Felix, Felix. Is there like a, um, what's they called, a glossary at the back? Um, no, but one thing I was also going to mention was it's quite interesting to see what Bond does in this scene as well because it sort of mirrors what we saw in Madagascar where Bond messes up. And so, you know, when he doesn't catch the the bomb maker alive and so he ends up just shooting him point blank and that was pretty much the plan again here where uh maybe he wasn't going to kill the chief but he was at least going to resort to violence by grabbing the knife and it's just again it's like when bond as you say loses control in terms of the finances he he kind of has to go back to what he knows and it's uh it's, yeah it's just kind of a bit of an insight into he's still at that stage where he's you know he he's kind of relying on maybe the wrong lessons, the, the wrong morals that he's got as a double O agent where he's just, he needs to just get it done by any means necessary now, despite what like M would say and, and MI6 would say. Do you, yeah, it's an interesting one because there's this whole thing that you read about and people talk about, it's like, oh, this is a young 007. I never really take it as that, as a young inexperienced one. I know that's definitely what they're trying to do. I just take it more that Daniel Craig's James Bond is just a more of a blunt to the point version of Bond. I don't really think of it as like, oh, he's young, so he's just reacting and not thinking. I think it's a pretty good idea. Just give him the old stab a root. Like, what else is he meant to do? <laughs> like, what else is he meant to do? I just feel, I see it more of his style of Bond rather than Bond being young. Because I'm not too sure if these elements really ever go away in the other films. I just think it's how Daniel Craig's Bond reacts. It's not because he's young. It's, it's how he would probably always do it. It's like, I got a job to do. Let's go. I think they don't help themselves by what they do with like the Bond timeline with Craig as well, though. Like where they, they sort of do the time jumps a bit strange. I think if it was a bit more like this is definitely the beginning and then later on is it's all it moves in a more natural time rather than it's just jumps in being immediately past it sort of thing that doesn't help with that with this this bond timeline but yeah i don't know i guess so i mean he is still quite like this yeah i guess you could see it both ways i, I think he is meant to be young and inexperienced yeah, in what this stuff sure. is bound to when i watch it though i don't see it as that um, and i think the film is better off for it <laughs> honestly oh i, I kind of like it i kind of like having both elements i suppose but yeah so after he gets the buy-in back from Felix, he's back at the table with a new stack of chips and uh, we don't really see much. It kind of fades again. It does that fade to show that some time passes and you see that from that small stack of chips. He's doing now. He's doing pretty well now. He's getting quite a lot. He's clearly, clearly winning a lot and, and beating the sheaf because you do see 
Uh, the sheaf in one hand in particular fold and tosses cards away. Very dramatic shot as well. It's like very low down and you can see like the cameras like fly str- uh, the the cards fly straight towards the camera as well. Um but yeah, at that game we then cut to uh the bar and we see a couple of martinis uh, and another drink on a drinks tray and we see a hand pouring some liquid into one of them and it's it's Valenka. Oh no. Yes, she's back. She's she's uh kind of ca- calmed down from having her arm nearly chopped off and um She's uh, poisoning one of the martini glass, uh, martini drinks because uh, it's just very quickly then picked up by one of the, the waiters and taken over to Bond, who obviously looks at him and immediately has a drink. And you see that as he's drinking it, like the sheaf obviously opposite him, just like so intently watching as he drinks it, uh, not taking his eyes off him. And I was trying to work out whether there was anything... like. I was trying to think, like, is there like a little slight smirk there? But I don't think there is. I think it actually works better that there's just no reaction at all from him. But you just, you couldn't obviously know what he's thinking in that moment as Bond is drinking it. Yeah, I see it as, like, it's his poker face, I guess, right? Like, yeah, yeah. The chief has that tell, sure, but in other situations he plays poker, so he just keeps it cool and just watches Bond. He knows what's happening, but he just watches Bond get sweaty. Yeah, because he does. He starts to Bond starts to get a bit kind of uncomfortable and, and sweaty, and he he looks over to the glass, and that's kind of the cue for him to realize what's happening. So uh, he excuses himself from the table. This is what Tom was saying. Like he just quickly does the buy-in and just throws a chip in and and uh, leaves. And he goes and grabs a salt shaker and a glass and enters into one of the the bathrooms and. The like the camera work here just completely changes, and so does the visuals as well, because it goes into this very handheld, spinny, very high emotion shots as he as he goes to the sink and you know makes a salt salt water mixture to force himself to throw up to try and get out some of the poison. But like, yeah, the the camera work here obviously meant to be very disorienting and matching what Bond is feeling right now as he's getting poisoned and the whites of it is also really blown out as well. It's all hazy. It's like a complete difference to it's really like amping up the the feeling that Bond is in right now. Yeah, which is very different to what we've seen before. You know, we said that already. Very different. Yeah. But yeah, actually seeing this all from Bond's point of view. Well, it's like third person shots. It's showing Bond, but it's using the camera work and the lighting and stuff to try and replicate what bond is feeling i think the idea is really cool i love that like bond realizes quite soon what is happening and like he's a trained agent so he knows what to do instantly like he's in a bad situation but he instantly knows go and grab the salt go and grab the glass and try and make yourself throw up that's awesome i love that small detail it's it's very practical but it's like well agents would be trained in this so he straight away does it without real explanation yeah, I like that they didn't they didn't dwell on Bond like getting I don't know, like making it really obvious that he's like getting more and more poisoned. It's just very instantly he knows, he looks at the glass and he's out. So yeah, it all moves very quickly. And after the the little kind of strange scene in the, the toilet, he is outside the casino now. He's kind of stumbling in the middle of the road, he's very sweaty, his clothes are all like his tie is his bow tie's undone, everything, and he's stumbling across the road trying to get to uh the aston and almost getting hit by cars as he does so as well well i think he does get hit by a car <laughs> kind of very lightly anyway it causes him to 
flip around and um yeah he gets to the aston that's parked outside and you get this kind of really this is again the the camera work is really kind of moving a lot here like it's it's it reminds me of uh the scene in golden eye with uh natalia in in the the kitchen when she's trying to hide and like it gets very close to bond as he opens the car door and and sits inside and um he grabs something from the dashboard that we saw earlier like something next to it and it's like a I guess it's like a sort of diagnostic thing that he he sticks in his arm or his forearm near his wrist and uh that connects through to MI6 as well so they get a you, you see them in their office back in London uh, presumably and there's this sort of alarm that goes off on one of the computers and they see that it's it's bond and so they get M's attention as well because they can now read his diagnostics on their screens. They can see his heart rate and everything like that. So they say that he's going into cardiac arrest um, because of the poison. And obviously, like this scene is all very, like, very frantic and very quick. And there's all these all these people that are crowded around this computer screen and they can talk to him. Um, so they're saying there's this one guy that's saying you'll be dead within two minutes if you don't follow what we say. And so they tell Bond to take the the thing next to the, the the gadget in the dashboard, the defibrillator, and take out the pads, stick it on his chest, and you can see it sort of slowly start to charge up. It's got this interface to it, this red line going across, and a big red button on it. And they're still trying to work out what it is. They're like trying to do like some analysing and work out the poison. Um, and the guy figures it out. God knows what the poison was. He says, but. Uh, they say to Bond to inject himself with one of the the blue blue combi pens in there. So he does that, and they need he needs to keep his heart going. So just as he's about to pass out, he needs to push the red button on the defib to give himself a, a shock, a volt, and he starts to push the button, and it doesn't do anything. <gasps> he starts spamming the button. They're all yelling at him. Push the damn button, Bond. <laughs> M's there. <laughs> push it, Bond. <laughs> take the bloody shot <laughs> that's what i thought yeah um and yeah it's not working and as he is passing out he just at the last second realizes that one of the leads is not actually attached to his the patch on his chest and as he does that he uh he passes out um and you see everyone back in like the office mi6 looking worried and it's sort of like flatlining sounds and everything and uh just in time though thankfully at the last second uh, Vespa arrives. Vespa comes over to the car and looks around and realizes what's happened and plugs in the the missing connection, presses the button, and gives Bond uh, a zap to bring him back to life. And you get this reaction from everyone, like a whew, like a big gulp reaction moment from everyone as uh, he comes back on screen. You know, heart rate comes back up, and Bond very quickly comes to from near enough dying. And the first thing he says to Vesper is, are you okay? <laughs> Which is nice. That's nice. The the doctor, presumably, on the other end is saying to Bond, you have to go, I have to go to hospital now. Um, but Bond is obviously not having any of that. Not until uh, he wins the poker game. So, yeah, he heads back to uh, the poker game. Hmm, another two sides of the coin thing. You get this a lot, which I like. Whereas, like, here's... It's like almost those two worlds collide. Bond being not in a great situation and being quite rough and Bond being very cool and collected. 
which is why I kind of like that moment of where he tries to leave and it, he has to be as quick as possible. Yes, to save himself, but it's almost like to save face. Um, so yeah, yeah it, it's Bond having to transition to this, which is like, I'm in a really bad situation and I'm probably going to die. Um, but it's nice to kind of see Vesper here because, as I said, they don't actually have a massive amount of time to develop these two with the whole James Bond plot happening all around them. So we already know Bond saved Vesper, so now we have Vesper saving Bond. And they set it up a little bit because when Bond drinks the drink, I think Bond sees Vesper staring at him. So we know Vesper notices probably something is up. So it makes sense that Vesper would come and investigate just to make sure Bond's okay. Mm. Um, so that's smart it is a bit silly that the wire is just not connected it's like they <laughs> built this <laughs> you can tell there's no Q here because that would not have happened oh Q would watch. not be having any of this that's this is probably a John Cleese one yeah. <laughs> this is an R thing yeah yeah definitely an R thing <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so it's, it, it works quite well it, this does to me this always feels like it's like book bond right this whole poisoning thing so I associated it not so much with well, I do with Craig's Bond, obviously, but this feels very much like they pulled it from the book. I don't know if this was from the book, but I felt like the idea of Bond going through a poisoning and just about surviving is something the book would do, um, mm. or one of the books would do. So it's it's nice that they're putting that in into this. It is very different. This is probably the most different Bond thing we've seen out of everything, just because of the way it's shot and the way it plays out and how he does almost die. Um, but I think it it makes sense to pull this element and, and bring it in for this film. Yeah, especially if, uh, yeah, like I say, once again, I don't know if this is in the book, but obviously that would have been in the 50s, so they sort of modernise it with this idea of the, the car gadgets. I think the thing with the scene is it's like, it's not it's not actually that kind of James Bondy in a way. Well, I mean, it is, but like it's filmed in a way where it's it's just, it's an easy thing to make a tense scene, isn't it? Someone flatlining and oh, the button's not working sort of thing. It's it's not, it's like, it's quite an, it's, it's an easy target to have as a, oh, we need like a bit of suspense. We need a bit of tension now. And, and the way they, the way they film it adds. But I think like, that's not, I'm not saying that in a bad way. I think it's like a really good use of it here. And like you mentioned earlier, like there is a bit of, there is still a bit of a, a use for it in terms of Bond's character as well, where he gets out of it and just immediately wants to go back to the game. He's not going to let that stop him, but yeah, like you could take that bit of like someone nearly dying and the with the the defib, and that could come, that could come out of any sort of action film, really. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I do but like again, not this. not a bad thing. Not yeah, a bad thing. I do like this whole sequence. I'm not like massively into it. I don't think it's like oh a brand new dimension for Bond. I think it's just all is decently tense. It's interesting to see them do a different kind of version of this or Bond to be poisoned and to actually take you through it and martin campbell knows his stuff so he knows how to kind of shoot it and make you feel it and have it be tense and it works well with vesper helping at the end and i mean this is probably the most useful the car is in the entire film <laughs> yeah yeah because it's yeah you're right actually it doesn't really do much else it doesn't do anything really this is the most helpful it's been like with the defib so really it's just a car battery that would have done the same thing but it's very flippable that, that that it does its thing there later on. So. Oh yeah, very helpful there. So yeah, I don't like necessarily love this scene, but I do think it's good. Um, if it wasn't in the film, I wouldn't really miss it. But I think, yeah, in terms of doing something a little bit different, sure, it's it's solid uh, and it's quite interesting to watch. So yeah, with that, Bond is uh, has to kind of put himself together, and after nearly dying, he heads back to the poker table, 
and we see that uh, before Bond enters, Le Chief is cleaning house. He's doing very well. I don't know if there's less players now. I think it, there's only it's four players just, now. I think it's, four, it's five, four. and Felix oh, is just about to go out. That's right, yeah. So a few more people have left, and poor Felix is down to his last million uh, with his chip and loses, of course. So yeah, yeah, you're right. It's down to four by the time that Bond comes back in. It does seem a little bit unfair that you could do that. Could you just leave the game and then come back when it's just 1v1? Yeah, like it's, it's like I said before, I think you can probably just have a system where they autom- if you're not at the table, you're automatically playing, uh, paying your blinds. Right. Uh, Bond did technically pay his big blind, which I think would give him one loop round. And I guess depending on the time, I don't know. The, they don't really go into the timing of it, but yeah. So you would be bleeding chips, as a certain American would say the whole time, <laughs> and you would never get chips back. So yeah. the other person could just would just wipe you out, yeah. Eventually, because of how many hours these games take. So Bond does eventually come back in, and he you know, looks like nothing's happened at all. Really, he comes back in looking just as as smartly dressed and everything. And uh, obviously, that gets a bit of a reaction out of the chief. He's very much surprised that Bond is back, and he comes and sits down and says, uh, "I'm sorry, that last hand nearly killed me." So, great little line there. Love it's that. Great quip. Potentially the first quip we've had, I want to say. But yeah, great quip. Great quip. And one of the uh, kind of workers there kind of says that with this next chip exchange, it's the final phase of the game. Just four players left. And uh, I don't know if there's another fade here. I think there might be because it within kind of jumped right to the end. So, we get five cards revealed on the table. Um, what is that called? Is that River? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't play Texas Hold'em, but whatever it is, when like all the five cards are on the table, do you know? Uh, no, off the top of my head, it's like, yeah, I think each card has a name. One is the river. One might be the flop or the flop. I think, uh, yeah, something like that. Anyway, anyway, see, I didn't learn that much about poker from this this film. You can tell. Um, so yeah, with all the four players, the first one, as Tom said earlier, they're all quite visually distinct. So one of them has like long white hair. Um, and he goes first, and and he goes all in with like four million. I think it is. I think six left. million. No, I think it's four because then the guy does five, doesn't he? I thought this was six. Oh no, yeah, the other guy is less. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because yeah. Um, yeah, then there's a, a rather big man next to him that also goes all in. They're all very confident, and he goes all in with six million, or no, five million. Doesn't matter. They're going all in, and comes around to the chief. He raises to $12 million, so we're getting a lot of money now on the table. And this is where Bond is really, like, staring out, trying to read him. Vesper and Mathis are looking on at the sides, looking very nervous, obviously. And Bond then also decides to to, uh, go all in with, like, $14 million. So... There's now, I think Mathis does say at one point, there's like, there's a hundred and blah, 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 million dollars in the pot. So, uh, yeah, everyone's very confident, basically, on this last round. Uh, they all, all check and uh, everything's ready. And there's like, almost like a bit of a, it's just this one scene where it's like everyone literally staring at each other. It's like a, like a Mexican standoff sort of thing. Yeah, every, every player left in the game just intensely, intently staring. And it's time for all the hands to be revealed. It kind of follows the same order. So the first player does it. I don't know what, I didn't pay attention to what these first two people got, but I think they were all 
Yeah, the, the Japanese man has a flush. Yeah, and then the man, man afterwards, he has an even better hand. It's a full and house. Then Le Chief reveals his. Which is a higher full house with aces. So, yeah, they're all doing better than the last, basically. And Le Chief is looking very smug because he uh, has a very good hand, I suppose. And there's all these... Uh, but as it's time for Bond to reveal, he he does so. And it's a straight flush. Gasps and there's even a bit of an applause for Bond as that's the uh, that's the winning hand, a straight flush and... Kind of, uh, you see a very, very small amount of what Bond did earlier with Le Chief, but definitely not to the same extent because he, he like has a brief moment of looking like he's dying inside, and his eye starts to bleed, like starts to weep again, and he just very quickly walks off. And yeah, Bond's done it. Bond's beat him. It's a very exciting hand. I do wonder if like, because I would assume Le Chief, the point of his character is that he can mathematically calculate the odds. So yeah. he probably calculated the odd that Bond would have a five and a seven to make the straight flush work and would calculate that as being worth going all in on. But it turns out that Bond does have it, which I think goes back to a little bit of it probably was against the odd. But just like what Roger Moore was explaining to Chrissy all the way back in those films, it's all about Bond being who Bond is and being a bit more rash and stuff. Although, you know, Bond had those cards, so <laughs> he was completely right to do that. Like, of course, you go all in on that situation with a, a straight flush. Um, but yeah, I'm assuming that was against the odds if somebody was to actually figure it out, um, what the chances oh, of that yeah. was. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think all of these, I, I, again, I don't know the ins and outs of poker, but having such a hand where like everyone is better than the last, like surely that's quite rare to have that. So I don't know. Yeah, with the sheaf walking off, um, Bond goes up to Felix and says, he's all yours, ready for the CIA. And walks over to Vesper, who's there, and she says congratulations. And, and Bond, Bond is very hungry, so celebrations are in order. So they they go for dinner together. Yeah, it's all very nice. This, yeah, I mean, he's one. It's like, hey, well done, Bond. Everyone's very happy. And it just kind of caps off this casino stuff, which I think I've probably already covered it, but they just do it so well. It's just so interesting and exciting, but they don't get too into the nitty gritty. It, it's ah, oh, this was. This is just like the best part of the film for me, really, this whole kind of sequence and how it all kind of plays out. And I am someone who just likes like tournaments and games in my I can media. tell. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can definitely tell. Yeah. <laughs> and this ain't Squid Game or anything, don't worry about that. But it is a very well version, a well, uh, like a good version of this um, and the way it plays out. Like it keeps you on edge. It doesn't get too complicated. And actually fitting all of this into the film was just so smart and they just bring so much atmosphere to these games and they have all the stakes in the background because i think that's what some media kind of forgets with some of these sort of games you need the background to be really strong and build in that story to make you feel it in these moments and having bond almost go through like the hero's journey <laughs> throughout this casino <laughs> where at first is really cocky and then he has his low point but then the hero comes back but oh no another obstacle and now he's done it hooray bond <laughs> like They've yeah. almost like put that into just this casino game uh, in the middle of the film, which is really cool. It's a film within a film here. And yeah, I think we said before, but there's only, to me, there's only so much you can do to make card reveals and things interesting, especially if you're not as into poker as other people. But they, they did it well, like just everything to do with the, the reaction shots, simple, simple things, but you know, the reaction shots, the music cues, the little kind of stings to know that, oh, that was a big moment or whatever. It's all all you need, really, and uh, they did it 
kind of flawlessly, I would say. Definitely. Yeah. Love this part of the film. Love it. So after that, we cut to Bond and Vesper alone in a restaurant. I'm assuming it's part of the hotel, but it's like empty. Like nobody, it's a massive room with a ton of tables, but it's empty. It's just them in a corner eating together. I have to assume that the poker game ended at some silly hour in the morning. Oh yeah, that probably is it. Yeah, like 5am or something. So it would just be them celebrating. So yeah, so they're sitting down having some food. Vesper, I think, gets a message on her phone and says like, oh, that's Mathis. And they're saying that the Americans are closing in on Le Chief. He's about to be arrested by the Americans. So Bond is having his drink again, the martini. And he says, I think I'll call this drink a Vesper. And she says, because of the bitter aftertaste, which I thought was kind of a fun line. <laughs> uh, but Bond says, no, because once you've tasted it, it's all you'll want to drink. And they have a little bit of a laugh. So it's quite a nice moment, the back and forth. So Bond then spots her necklace and says it's an Algerian love knot. I'm not too sure if she's been wearing this the whole time. I want to say no, but it would make sense if she was wearing it the whole time. Uh, yeah, I don't know, actually. I actually, maybe she put it on after the whole shower stuff because I don't remember seeing it on her at first. No, neither do I. But it's obviously important to her. Yeah, yeah. So Bond looks at that and says, "Oh, it's a love knot." So that means uh, he's a very lucky man, implying that Vesper is already with somebody because of this love knot. Um, and then Vesper changes topics and saying, "Does it bother you about killing all these people?" Bond gives a very Bond line, saying, "Well, I wouldn't be very good at my job if it did." And Vesper talks about, well, you don't have to keep doing it just because you've killed people doesn't mean you have to kill more people. Um, but this is, again, more kind of high-level dialogue here. So Bond then starts saying, oh, there's something there's something driving you, and I don't think I'll ever figure out what that is. And Vesper gets another message from Mathis, and then she leaves, and that leaves Bond alone with his drink, and he's having another sip, and then he kind of realises something, and he says to himself, Mathis out loud so yeah another scene between these two i actually quite like this one i have been i keep using the phrase hit and miss i gotta stop it but <laughs> but i don't what i realized watching this film again is that not every single aspect of bond of vespa really works there are still some dialogue that I, i'm not massively into but this one's really good it's them celebrating it's more getting into the characters there's clear affection at this point between the two but we find out like old Vesper is already engaged with someone or involved mm. with someone, which Bond is, you know, saying very lucky man. It's this one was really solid. This one was a really nice back and forth. Yeah, I I think it is that idea of now it's almost like the now that Bond knows that she is with someone, it's the taking a step back from it and, and you get sort of a different conversation between the two now where it's not just uh the like flirting or whether it's still flirting, but you know, like it, it he knows where he stands basically with this, so it could this could have been like the end for them too, sort of thing. Yeah, like he was kind of seeing it as oh now we're going to depart ways, but yeah, exactly. we're getting some seeds for the later part of the film because we still got a decent amount of the film to go. Um, so just like with Goldeneye, there's some nuggets sprinkled in here about what's going to be happening next because really like this could wrap up quite quickly, but nope, unfortunately not. Um, so Bond has realized something about Mathis. So he gets up and we cut to him running to go outside the casino and he sees Vesper being captured. Somebody's grabbed Vesper, shoved her in a car and he's driving away. So Bond starts running after them, but he's actually running to get into his car. I was half thinking Bond was going to just start sprinting down the street. <laughs> <laughs> and he still makes it. Yeah, and still somehow makes it. Oh, here's a 
here's one of those boarding steps. Oh, I can jump on this and let, oh, perfect. Uh, but no, he is going towards his Aston and he's driving through the street very quick. Uh, we cut straight away to them being out of the city and being in like the middle of nowhere in the country on one of these, like, it's still a, it's not a proper country road, but they are out in the middle of nowhere and Bond is being very calm. He's very calmly driving here, trying to chase after this car. But as he's going, because it's at night, so he's going with his lights on and we see that Vespa has been tied up in the middle of the road and it kind of comes into the lights, the headlights that Bond has on the car. So he swerves to avoid and this causes the car to like flip over like multiple times Um, and it stops and we see it all smashed up and Bond has been knocked out in the front of it. I guess the car had to flip multiple times for us to sell the idea that Bond would get knocked out by this because Bond is kind of shown to be such a, well, not in this film, I guess, but generally speaking, like a bit of a superhero. That if a car flipped twice, you probably would expect Bond to get out and be like, oof, and then start running. <laughs> so it's like they had to flip it like five or six times to be like, no, 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 he's knocked out. And it makes sense. I'm going to be honest, too many flips for my liking. Too many flips? Too many flips, just a few too many. I, to me, it, went, it crossed the line into you would be dead from from that. Like, come on. Like the way that car looks at the end. I, I actually think, I'm pretty sure I'm right in thinking that they that flipped more than they were planning it to as well. Oh. Um. Or like they they didn't expect it to to do that as yeah as much as they did because I think I got like a Guinness World Record or something silly <laughs> like the most flips of a car in a stunt but um yeah like the music cuts and and it's just the wreckage sound as it's doing this I don't know it it looks cool but I could have done with maybe two less yeah I guess it wasn't their fault I suppose what would you give out of ten if this was an Olympic sport what what score are you holding up um eight an eight solid eight yeah solid eight. I'll go for a 7.2. Oh, well, I feel like I need to go lower than what, what I've just said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I'll go with 7. All right. I'll go for 8 then. Uh, All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sounds good. So, yeah. So, Bond has been knocked down in the front of the car. and We see some shots of some some weird shots, actually, of guys. Some guys, like, dragging Bond. And there's some breathing. They're, like, some first-person shots. And it's all kind of blurry. So, this actually reminded me a little bit of Goldeneye. Um where Piers Brosnan had something similar when he was in the jungle, where he's coming to, and it's all blurry, oh, yeah. and you don't know what's going on. Yeah. So it's it's some of that coming back in. Because I was going to say, oh, we've never seen this in Bond before. But no, we actually did <laughs> in Goldeneye. Um, so Bond gets thrown to the ground, and they're still out in this middle of nowhere, almost like on this field by the side of the road. And there's a load of guards, like or everyone in black, kind of surrounding them in a circle almost. And we see Bond get pulled up, and the bald man, the one that has been around Ashif the whole time, gets a knife, stabs into Bond's arm, and removes the chip. The chip that MI6 put in the arm all the way back in the Bahamas. He removes that chip, and we see the chief is there. And uh, the bald man gives him the chip, and the chief says, well, your friend Mathis was really my friend Mathis. No, not Mathis. So Mathis was a traitor. And they carry Bond and throw him back into the car. So here's question time. Uh, how did Bond figure that out? How did Bond figure that out? Yeah. Figure what out? That Mathis was a traitor, so he needed to go and chase Vesper. Well, I was thinking, I did wonder, like, yeah, that scene when after the dinner where he just looks and goes, Mathis, what does he actually realise there to make him do that? And I... my My thoughts are... 
that well he's just he's just being misled right but i don't know i don't know what do you think i don't know because we actually had the same conversation last week with Dino the day <laughs> funnily enough and that one kind of made sense to me this one i can't quite figure out because we know what Mathis did in terms of being a traitor later but the only misinformation here is that I guess Mathis told Vesper on the phone or text her like, oh, the Americans are arresting Le Chief, which makes sense to me. But then when Vesper says she has to leave because of Mathis, I, that seems fine to me. I don't know. I, I'm guessing this is just Bond thinks there's something like there's some things he don't quite doesn't quite understand, like about the tell. Um, so he's just kind of associating that with Mathis. I don't. Or maybe he doesn't fully figure it out. And maybe he is just a more suspicious. And when he sees Vesper be kidnapped, that's enough to confirm something's up. I think he's just suspicious because I'm I'm just want to get this out in the clear now. Mathis isn't actually a traitor. Right? There he is. No, I don't think he is. Well, the chief just says your friend Mathis is my friend Mathis. <laughs> I think he was doing that just to just to trick him. What? For what purpose? To make Bond, I don't know, to, to throw Bond off the lead. What lead? Well, to think of how uh, I don't know, but I just think <laughs> he just captured it, him. But, but it, he's got him. Isn't the next film? They they clearly say that Mathis was innocent. Oh, maybe I don't. I don't remember that to be honest. My impression from this film is because the chief says your friend Mathis is my friend Mathis, and all the other things that get associated to what Mathis did, which I think M does address and they do talk about and say, oh, maybe there's another explanation. But I don't think that makes any sense that the chief would say your friend Mathis is really my friend Mathis, because I don't think he would try and trick him like that. I think he has to be a traitor, at least in some form. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. All, all I'm pretty sure of is that it's revealed that he's not. But that's in the next film, I guess. So we'll I don't remember. Then. Yeah, I guess we'll see that next week. But I don't remember that part. So I guess we can debate and argue with that. Yes. With Bond being captured, and well, he gets thrown into the back of the car, actually. Like, the chief gets him thrown into the back of the car. And we see Vesper in the back as well. So Bond is kind of pretty much passed out in the back. And we see Vesper next to him. So we cut to the two black cars that were there before, arriving at, like, a dock at night. And... The girlfriend of Le Chiffre and um, I just put evil woman in my notes for this character. And that's <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like initially yeah. she just seems about, oh, she's just a blonde woman that's attractive that hangs around Le Chiffre. But then she gets a lot of like evil looking shots. Like when she puts the poison in the drink, there's mm. like a dramatic turn of her looking. And she doesn't like go super evil, but it's like, oh, <laughs> she's, she's mad. She's definitely, yeah. Yeah, she's yeah, got she's this, a nasty one. She's re- she really stood out to me because of all these like shots they had of like, she's a nothing character at the end of the day, but they make her look kind of evil for just like a henchman's girlfriend <laughs> or a, a villain's girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So they, they, like, they're inside this like old ship, this old rusted up ship. I want to say inside the hole. I'm not too sure if that's the right term, but yeah, inside the inside this big old ship. So the evil woman and Vesper and one of the guards go into one room and they lock the big old doors, which is yeah, the very oldie time ship doors where you spin the, the circle to lock them. So they disappear into there. And inside the main area of the hole, we see the bald man who was always around the sheaf. He gets a wooden chair and he like gets a knife and cuts the bottom of it out. So he completely cuts that out and we see a very sweaty Le, Sh- uh, Le Chief is there and Bond gets stripped 
this all happens very quickly. I think you see like they remove some of his clothes and then they just cut to him being tied down to the chair naked. So everyone else leaves. So it's just Le Chief and Bond. And it gets very quiet for a moment where it's just Bond, quite bruised and cut, you know, looking quite rough and also naked, um, tied to this chair. And Le Chief has this rope, like a long rope with like a knot at the bottom of it. And Le Chief starts saying, oh, you've taken good care of your body. This is going to be such a waste. And he starts swinging the rope quite slowly. And then he flips it at the bottom of the chair and Bond kind of grimaces. So they don't explicitly say this. I guess they pretty much do. But yeah, he's kind of whacking the genitals underneath the chair cover. So Bond is sitting there naked, which means, and with the cover exposed, it means he's just kind of flipping the rope upwards to cause a lot of pain. So the chief says, ah, there's all these torture techniques, but it's very simple to cause a lot of pain, more pain than a man can endure. Um, And he hits him again, which Bond, it's a bit harder this time. So Bond... uh, you know, Grimace is a little bit harder this time. And the chief says, will you, will you yield in time to save, uh, save what is left? Um, referring to his manhood, basically. Um, so the chief explains, I want the money. I want that money. And he gives a really big hit this time. So a lot of screaming from Bond. That one really hurt. And the chief says how we've got Vesper and Vesper is going to give us the account number. All we need is the password. So before, when the Swiss banker was there, Vesper had the account number and Bond created the password. So the chief's plan is, well, I lost the game, so instead I'm just going to steal the password from Bond and get the money that way. So he's still going after the money. And Bond's response to this is, uh, he's clearly in pain, but he just starts saying, I've got a little itch down there. Would you mind? (laughs) So, So the chief gets quite angry at this and hits him again. And Bond starts shouting, but he's like, no, to the right, to the right. <laughs> and the chief's like, you're a funny man, Mr. Bond. And then he <laughs> hits him again. And Bond's like, yes, that's it. And he like laughs. It's like a pained laugh, but he is like laughing. But it's almost like a little bit of a, a manic one. And as he comes out of this laugh, he says, now the whole world is going to know that you died scratching my balls. And uh. Bond explains that his... Uh, <laughs> Like the chief's like, why would I die? What are you on about? But Bond says that, oh, your clients are going to kill him because I'm not going to give you the password. So you're going to get killed by your clients. But the chief explains, and it's something that M touched on before, that Bond's people will welcome him with open arms um, to cover the big picture, which is also a line that M said before. So M did say about the idea of they will make a deal with the chief. So the chief is confirming i'm aware of this so if this doesn't work plan b is that i'm just going to hand myself in and do a deal to give all this information on terrorists and we hear vesper screaming behind the door so the sheep kind of changes tactics here because bond reacts to that and he's saying like well if you give me the password we'll let vesper live and bond kind of smiles i think at this point but bond the sheep is now just kind of mad so kicks bond down so now the chair is kind of on the floor he gets a knife out and saying, I'll feed you what you seem to not value so much. But we hear some gunshots. Here's some gunshots next door. And Mr. White enters. The man from Uganda that we saw, he enters with a gun. And the chief gets a bit nervous at this point and he's like, I'll get the money. I will get the money. And Mr. White says, to our organization, money isn't as valuable as knowing who to trust. And he shoots the chief. And we get a first-person shot from Bond's perspective where the chief lands on the floor with a bullet on his head. And then it cuts. And 
what a great scene. <laughs> like, something we haven't really seen before with the torture. We did see a little bit with the world is not enough, but this is Bond completely exposed in more ways than one. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just having to deal with torture. But they do it in a very smart way, as in they kind of get the humor in there. Um, the humor doesn't really make me laugh that much nowadays. I think it's all pretty funny jokes, but they they balance it out. It's really, really grim, the situation and what's happening. But I think what's great about it is that they managed to suck out some of that grimness. So it still somewhat feels like a Bond film. Um, and we get something that we've just never really seen before. And I think Daniel Craig does a really good job of portraying it and doing that balance. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, this is, if you didn't have those little lines, you know, scratching my balls line, that thing, like, it would have been a really uh, kind of, it would have been too much, I think, for a Bond film. It would have been just too too far in the other direction of, of like, the actual torture scene and, and, like, the violence of it and everything. So they they were very, very smart with it and kind of filmed it in a way where you... You know what's happening, but it's still quite, uh, I don't know, maybe not family friendly is the right word, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) maybe more PG than it it could have been, potentially. Yes. Although I think, funnily enough, this scene and the staircase scene got edited down for the original release in the UK. Really? Because it would have made it a 15. So they they edited both of those down to make it a 12. But now current versions of the film are now just like the original ones, not edited down. And it's why there was like a re-release on Blu-ray or something, which was like the extended cut, more Bond. But really it was just these scenes not quite as edited down to be as harsh. Do you know what they cut? Like what specifically they cut from this scene? I'm not too sure, to be honest, because to me, I can't tell the difference. (laughs) I couldn't tell you what they left in. I could kind of guess what maybe they would have changed, but I couldn't tell the difference between what I originally would have saw in the cinema and what we got, because to me, they seem to flow the exact same way. Yeah, I guess that's a sign of a good edit there. But yeah, uh, very good scene. Like, it's just uh, such a, a left field in terms of the stuff that we've seen. It's, it's We saw a little bit of torture in the <laughs> in time of the day, but very much a kind of superficial level compared to this. And it, it ticks the boxes of, well, it's not Sweaty Sean, but it is Sweaty Craig. Sweaty Craig and, is good. Yeah. And Sweaty Lashif as well. So yeah, no, it's... it's, it's um, it's great, and I think Craig is really great in the scene as well. So, like, yeah, it, it's I, quite I explicitly remember people off. laughing out loud at these jokes yes. when I saw in the cinema. Yes. People definitely sure. laughed. Yeah, yeah, and um, I think that could have been the thing. Is like this sort of scene could easily be quite uncomfortable, but it doesn't feel that way. Uh, I mean, it feels uncomfortable in the sense of it's a torture scene, but it's like you still watch it. Like it doesn't doesn't put you off that much. So, yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, and I think we haven't really talked that much about Lashif. We have a little bit, but I really like him in this scene because he is also very sweaty and very panicked. It's very different. Like, he is in desperation mode. So there is this, like, power struggle going on between the two. Yes, Bond is in a bad situation, and clearly Lashif has an upper hand in certain aspects. But I love that Bond points out certain things about all his clients are going to kill him, and Lashif is just, like, desperate at this point. And you actually really feel that and it goes to Mad's um, uh, performance of him of taking him seriously but also being a bit lame but I feel like he's portrayed in a way where he's not actually all that lame he actually kind of does have this great presence to him he's he's not my favorite villain or one of my favorites but he gives a really good performance and I think he fills this role very 
nicely, especially for, you know, they're not trying to go too over the top with the villain and the schemes and things like that, but he's still very much a Bond villain and is taken quite seriously and is kind of tangled up in something much bigger than himself. So it's all it's all really great stuff. Um, and I think it all comes to a head here, where it's just those two in a room and the power struggle between the two with the back and forth. It's very effective. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... The thing with the Sheaf that I've never really considered, I don't think he's an amazing villain either. I think the thing with him is that he's 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 very, very good. It's just fortunate that he's also in a very, very good film, which really kind of elevates the character. But I think in isolation, there's nothing amazingly kind of different than what we would have maybe seen before with a villain. Um, it's just it's just well acted, I guess. So, yeah, I suppose. Uh, and also there's an interesting point about how like, yeah, this this villain isn't taken out by Bond. Like Bond doesn't Bond doesn't do anything. In fact, if that if Mister White hadn't come along, then who knows what would have happened. But uh, it's actually a completely different means of of getting rid of the villain this time. Yeah, it's a very different type of showdown, I suppose, because that's ultimately what this kind of is. It's the final showdown between the villain, and yeah. of course, we've still got a decent decent chunk of the film left. Um, but I like this idea of the organization kind of being in control and thinking about who Mister White is. But I, yeah, I think what I like about Lashif is their interactions, bonds and his interactions throughout the film. It's maybe not something you really massively remember about the film because there's so much about it going on. But actually, yeah. this is some of the better interactions between a villain and Bond. And they, they maybe don't have as many iconic lines as some of the more famous names. But I think they actually have really good back and forth and competition, especially when you've got them staring at each other in the casino and the contrast uh, between the casino and this it's like i think those interactions are incredibly strong throughout yeah definitely so after that after the chief was taken out we cut to a close-up of bond's eyes a very extreme close-up of bond's eyes obviously not looking too good kind of all bloody and red and uh then we get a pov from his point of view and it's these blurry figures he's clearly just coming to and these blurry figures looking down at him and there's like hospital beeping sounds in the background. So he's clearly in some sort of uh, hospital or clinic or wherever. Um, and he kind of starts to recognize some of the people around him, although they are very blurry, but he kind of sees and hears Vesper and starts to say her name. And and then from behind Vesper, you sort of see another man walk up and it's Mathis. You hear Bond go, no, <laughs> no not, not Mathis. Not Brown, Brown, <laughs> that's a, Brown. That's exactly, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> but it is a little bit cheesy, this bit, because you even yeah, get like yeah. a sort of dun-dun-dun sort of sound as well, where, where you're like, oh, no, Mathis is here, because he has been set up as the traitor Because um, he to is. Bond. <laughs> I don't think he is. I don't think he is. But, uh, yeah, it then fades to black, and we cut to outside, to this kind of garden area um, with Bond sitting down and Mathis is there standing at the at the edge and it's this beautiful place like they're in I think it's Lake Como they're in and it's like this massive great lake out there and it's like beautiful trees and everywhere so um, if I ever need to go to like a hospital take me there please you Thank don't you want to go much. to the clinic in Thunderball get me away from that machine right now <laughs> they got grapes <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, so yeah Bond is there sat down and Mathis is talking to him and and 
asking whether he knows why Bond and Vespa were kept alive from that previous situation. Uh, because, yeah, obviously they, they were. The chief was killed, but for some reason Bond wasn't and, and neither was Vespa. And Bond is being very blunt here. He's kind of like avoiding answering questions from Mathis because obviously he presumes he is the traitor from what the chief said to him. And so she asks, sorry, he asks where Vesper is. And yeah, Mathis, Mathis then like goes to, he says, oh, I need to give you this and starts to make him a drink. I think it's all these things about like, they're, they're clearly trying to make him look evil because he also like, he's wearing glasses in the scene as well. He looks a bit more um, sort of shady compared to how we've seen him before as well. But he's like, oh, you know, yeah, I drink this. And it just makes this mysterious little concoction to the side. But I think it is just a big red herring, if you ask me. Um and he goes and asks Bond if he, he saw who the killer was. Also asks, is there anything else you remember that can help us? And Bond replies, help us or help you? And as he says that, two men come from behind Mathis and kind of stun him with a like a taser gun and and drag his his body away off off screen. So yeah, that's uh that's Mathis dealt with, at least according to Bond. So later on, still at the same place, at this lovely clinic, hospital place, it's Bond with Vespa this time. Uh, Vespa kind of wakes him up from this chair. She says that she can't resist doing so because of the way that he looks at her when he wakes up. Oh, She says it makes her feel reborn. And <laughs> then you get this line from Bond. Like, if you've just been born, wouldn't you be naked? <laughs> it's just the mm. way he says that. It's very childish. Um <laughs> But yeah, uh, Vespa's like, you can have me anywhere. She's like, she's clearly warming to Bond instead of loathing, as he puts it. Uh, being very lovey-dovey together. You know, the sun's shining, it's all very idyllic. Uh, and then just at that moment, they get interrupted by the Swiss banker is back. Mr. Mendel comes. Mr. Mendel. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> He's here. He's here with his briefcase to uh, transfer the winnings to deliver the money after the competition and um at one point Bond says like oh you didn't bring any chocolate with you being him being swiss and he's like i'm afraid not and does this really cheesy laugh i love this man i want to be him <laughs> uh so yeah he says um he opens his thing to reveal like the computer on the briefcase and asks for the account number and the password so vespa puts in the account number that's what she was in charge of being the accountant and then asks bond to put in the password that he chose at the beginning of the game and he says, oh, go on, you can do it to Vespa. And she says, oh, I don't know what it is. And so he starts to spell it out for her as she types it in. And it's the word Vespa. That's oh. her name. That's her name. Now, I'm going to point out something. When you see Bond put it in at the very beginning, it definitely doesn't line up <laughs> on the Got keypad. A, got a mind. It, do it doesn't. And I, I made a point to go back and check that, and it does not. So Martin Campbell, for shame. Fraud. <laughs> <laughs> for shame uh so yeah with that the funds have now been transferred he says and uh he's got to go so he runs off that's it from mr mendel just a little visit from him he's a very busy man i'm sure um but yeah you actually do you see when vespa learns that that was the password she actually kind of goes and sits down next to bond as, as mr mendel's leaving kind of with her her head in her hand or sort of been affected by that to an extent and then she gets all very emotional when she starts to almost tear up, saying, uh, if all that was left of Bond was his smile and his little finger, he'd be more of a man than anyone else she knew. 
And again, another little line from Bond here. It's like, that's because you know what I can do with my little finger. <laughs> it's just like, I think he got a few bumps on the head because these lines are very, um, they're quite different to what he's, the stuff that he's been saying beforehand. Uh, yeah. So um, she, uh, like, because he's making light of that, this is when she sort of kind of goes into him a bit and says, oh, you've, you've still got your armor back on. And uh, he goes in to say that, nope, it's all gone. She's stripped it. And whatever is left of him is hers now. So uh, they are now madly in love, or at least according to Bond. So they they kiss and it starts to rain. You see all this rain, like torrential rainfall come down. And uh, so they you see him head into one of these clinic rooms, you know, hospital bed and all the equipment there. And they're like literally tearing the clothes off of each other and on the bed. And they fall off the bed. So, yeah, they're... Um, they're having a great time. Ah, oh, so conflicted about all this because I feel like this film did the hard bit correctly, which is over the course of the film, build up these two characters' personalities and the way they bounce off each other and have chemistry and go through all these different kind of events to make it so they would fall for each other. And then they get to this bit and the dialogue is just so all over the place. Like, I like some of the lines. I don't think this is all bad or cringy, nothing like that, but... Some of this stuff, I just feel so off to me. Like when Vespers are like, "Oh, you can have me anywhere." As soon as Bond wakes up, I'm just like, "Oh God, that just doesn't." I just don't think she would say that, and I think the the quality of the dialogue is just a bit too all over the place. Some of it works, some of it doesn't work, which is kind of how I felt throughout the film. But this is the part of the film, especially when I see this scene, where I just start to just I don't really like the rest of this film. Um, there's still some good moments for sure and things that I do enjoy definitely but this scene to me kind of in my head signals the beginning of the end and this is where I might go and get some ice cream or something <laughs> oh that raspberry ripple ice cream is oh, back yeah. oh it, it might have been yeah <laughs> um, but I, yeah this yeah. this is when I kind of just like there's some good stuff here and it doesn't all play out badly just oh this dialogue I think needed a little bit more work and the Swiss banker helps massively. Oh, for sure. And I like that they try and put some humour in here. Again, I don't quite... the My little finger line feels a little bit more... Uh, not gross, but, but but on the nose than we've seen from Bond, which might have been the point, I don't know. But I don't know if I really buy the armour line from Bond and she's saying all about not letting her in. It, it, I don't know. I just don't think it really sticks the landing with this stuff. And I do buy them together. So I'm not like, oh, I don't buy these to get these two together at all. Like they've done the hard work to make me buy it. I just wish the dialogue and chemistry here was a bit better. I would totally agree. I think with this part, watching this again now, this is the part of the film that I always seem to forget. It goes straight from the, the torture pretty much just to like the collapsing building in Venice that we're going to see. Like this whole section with the clinic and this dialogue, it always slips my mind. And I think you're right; it's probably just because the dialogue is just not great. And I, I, I'm trying to work out how necessary it is for a lot of this stuff because, you, as you say, I, I'm buying into them being together now from what we've already seen. I don't know how much more of this, like literally, can't keep their hands off each other stuff. We need to see, and it does. One of the things about this film is it is it's long. Like it's a long film, and. I do think maybe this part could have maybe been a bit tighter. I don't know. It's like, I get why they needed it here, but also uh, some of it is a bit off. 
It's really difficult, though. You know, like this, I think, ties into how ambitious this film is. As you say, it's a long film. And I don't know if they necessarily needed to cut anything, but it's so ambitious what it's trying to fit in here. Um, because, yeah, this is the longest film by far. Well, not by far, because Honor Majesty's Secret Service was stupidly long, which I guess also makes sense because they did a very similar thing of having a Bond film and a Bond adventure, but also Bond falls in love at the um, by the end and runs away. Um, so so it's the same thing. So they have a similar length. So I think it overall still does it well, but I uh, just needed a little bit more work. Um, but it's just, I think the issues with being so incredibly ambitious with the story and trying to cram so much in, they overall do a good job. But this might have just been an idea that was always going to fill off. I don't know if they ever could have pulled off this stuff because we still got another action sequence to go. And that in itself makes me sad to say. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on then. Uh, so we then see Bond coming out of the sea at, at the beach, a little bit similar to the one we saw before, but no skimpy blue shorts this time. Um, I think they're black this time. They are quite skimpy <laughs> from what I remember, though. Are they still skimpy? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, good. Uh, so, yeah, Bond comes out the sea and goes and lays with Vesper on the beach. He says about M, I guess, because they're now kind of on holiday. So M won't miss him because uh, she'll be too busy interrogating Mathis and uh, working out what happened there, according to Bond. So, yeah, he thinks that it was Mathis that told the chief about his tail and also about how they knew about his implant and his arm. And uh, you sort of do get this. I mean, maybe it's just in hindsight I'm, I'm saying this, but kind of very fake response from Vesper when she's like, oh, I can't believe it. It was Mathis, really, sort of thing. Uh, but that might just be me putting that on afterwards. So, um, and this is where the implant stuff gets mentioned. But I think we said it before all the way back when it was first put in. I don't think it has anything to do with anything. I guess it's just another piece of information that somebody could tell to yeah, hammer that home. On the inside. But in terms yeah. of the actual practicality of it, it, it has nothing to do with anything. It's just info that somebody could tell for to you know harm Bond. Yeah, that's exactly it. Then Vesper asks if if everyone has a tail. I can't remember where that leads from, but yeah, if everyone has a tail. And Bond says, yes, everyone except for her. And maybe that's why he loves her. Aww. Aww. Uh, enough to, to leave MI6, he says, to, to travel the world together and get an honest job, although it would have to be her that would do that. Um, because he wants to leave MI6 with what little soul he has left, he says, and... Uh, the two of them kiss. So yeah, this is Bond sort of <laughs> very quickly. We've seen him join Double O and, uh, and now he, he's ready to <laughs> leave true, it. Isn't it. Yeah. Thanks, but enough. no thanks. <laughs> like, I wonder if there's like, is in that time frame where he can just leave without any issues. It's like, oh, you know, it's only been a couple of weeks. It's probation. Period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this uh, is where for me also, I think it makes sense that it's not super young and inexperienced that, I guess it depends how inexperienced you want to say, but it makes sense to me that he would be doing it for like a couple of years. So he's still early on in his career, but not literally the first mission he does after he gets double O. makes more sense to me that this would be like two years on from that very first opening scene. It's not what it is, but to me that would make this feel a little bit better. Yeah, no, you're right. It would. It doesn't quite match up maybe. Um, but we do come to know that Bond, like he, he's, he doesn't care anyway. Especially Craig's Bond. He's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> About MI6, I'll leave. Who cares? So yeah, after the kiss on the beach, we get this wide sweeping shot of a sailing boat 
as it's heading in towards Venice. We're moving on to Venice now, and we see Vesper is, is steer, uh, steering the boat, and Bond is sat down further up, and he's on a laptop on another Sony Vio, of course, uh, typing up an email to M using the MI, MI6 emailing outlook. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, he's uh, writing an email, very, very short, brief email that just says he's uh, tendering his resigna- resignation, and that's him done. So he sends that, and uh, the two just kind of smile to each other. Yeah, he's he's out, or for now at least he thinks he is. And we see them kind of further now into like into actually the, the canals of of Venice, and Vesper is there with a phone, not a phone, with a camera, taking some photos of the buildings. And uh, she then spots kind of on the the dockside, walking along by them on the boat. This very mysterious looking man, very strange looking man. He's got a hat and he's got these glasses, but one of the glasses is like a sort of, well, one of them is like a normal glass and one's like a sunglasses, like one's blacked out. Um, Yeah, very identifiable, that's for sure. And you sort of see him look straight towards the camera more or less. So he's, he's spotting Vesper there. And then something comes in front of the camera, some crate or something blocks him from view. And then when it passes by, he's gone. He's vanished. Good. You get this. My goodness me, where did he go? You get this little shot from from Vesper of confusion almost, or I don't know. Do you get a reaction from from Vesper there of like she clearly is onto something seeing that man there? Yeah, I think all this stuff is decent. I think this works a little bit better. It's like this. These scenes are quite short, and they kind of had to be because we are like two hours into this film at this point, and yeah. now we're going to have to play out this love storyline, which. So, you know, it's all quite short. And I think the stuff with Bond resigning and stuff, it's all it's all pretty good. It's all pretty decent. I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's It all just comes down to the fact we're two hours in at this point. So it's paced well enough, I suppose. Um, but I can't, I don't feel much strong feelings about this stuff. It's it's a pretty big deal. But to me, it's like, yeah, Bond and Festival are running away together. So let's just play out all the stuff you would expect with Bond saying, oh, I don't have any soul left. I'm going to resign and go. Yeah, it. you're right, actually. It doesn't, maybe it's just because we've seen it lots of times as well, but it doesn't have that sort of impact to it that, that Bond is, is now leaving. He's, he's done being a double O agent already. And I think that is partly because of this is the film where we saw him join that, so it doesn't really have much impact to begin with. But also because, yeah, this is two hours into the film and I think a lot of people would be like looking at their watches now thinking like, blimey, well, how's this all going to get wrapped up now in however much time is left? Surely we must be near the end. So maybe that adds to an element of like I'm not really buying this like uh I don't know if there's another film where well there is another film I suppose where Bond does leave MI6 earlier on in the film you actually do realize maybe a bit more there's a bit more weight to it because you have the whole film to play out from that but this is so near the end it's like well you know what's going to happen really yeah I think Honor Majesty's Secret Service did it better where it's just them getting married yeah I, I think that's just kind of makes a bit more sense so I think I guess you would assume that Bond is going to be leaving MI6 with that, but the focus is on hooray, they're getting married, and I think that works better than what this is about, which is them running away together and Bond making it all official. It's it's not bad by any means, but I think Honor Majesty's Secret Service did it a little bit better. Yeah, I'd agree. So they've now arrived in Venice, and they've got some sort of hotel room, and we start on them with their feet in bed. Didn't need to see that. Um, but they're naked in bed together, so a little bit of foot play. Um, so Vesper gets out of the bed and puts a dress on, and she says, "I gotta go. I gotta go to the bank." 
Bond says, I've got more than enough money to pay for all this, but she's saying, I want to pay my half of this wandering that we're doing because they're going on some sort of global trip together to run away. And she checks her phone because uh, she gets a message and it, and she says, it's my employer. And then she says out loud, her replying, I'll be back in one month. And then throws a pillow at Bond quite playfully. Um, and then they, they head out. So we see them kissing in the lift, being very coupley, holding hands, all that stuff, and more kissing. And they leave the hotel and they agree that they're going to meet up in half an hour. So we cut to Bond kind of watching the square because this is another case of a very busy area. We, we've had a lot of these and we have it again. So Bond is like watching the square and he gets a call from M. And yeah. M says, oh, okay, you're leaving, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. Um, I've got a, a very nice man from the treasury who is wondering when you're going to deposit the winnings. And we get a dramatic zoom on Bond as he's kind of realising because, well, we already did that. We had Mr. Medal or what it Medal? How dare you, Mendel. Mendel. Get his name right. <laughs> Sorry, Mendel. <laughs> so they all, he thought that already happened, but M is saying that that isn't the case. So he was like, don't worry, I'll deposit the money today. <laughs> I really like that phone call, by the way. I I just found it way funnier than it had any right to be, just because it's like M being so, like, office-y. I don't, <laughs> she's like, so you'll be depositing it today, yes? Okay, thanks. All right. It's just like, it's just almost like Money Penny in that scene. It's like, that's M doing that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That would have been what Money Penny would have done. She would have been the one to call. Yeah. yeah, you got the man in the background looking all impatient by the window as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, he's, he's here right now. Can't really talk. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's just strange to me. Yeah, so Bond uh, calls up the Swiss banker, Mister Mendel, and says, "Like, what funds did the bond or did the money go to?" And he's like, "Well, we we put it in the account that you told us, Mister Bond, the account number." And he's like, "It's actually being withdrawn as we speak in Venice." Venice Bank. So he hangs up and he then sees a message on uh, Vesper's phone because I believe I, like he's still in the hotel and she left the phone and says, oh, there's a message saying, oh, let's meet in 30 minutes. So Vesper's gone to meet up with someone. So Bond runs outside. It's a very busy crowd. He's storming through the crowd. He enters the bank. Vesper isn't there. So he goes back through the busy crowd and he does see someone in a red dress who I thought they were going to have some mystery to do this, but no, it's just Vesper. Like, it's yeah, not... straight away, spots her. Yeah, it's like, oh, red dress, perfect. Uh, so runs after Vesper. Um, Vesper kind of goes down this alley away from all the people and Bond gets his gun out and starts creeping behind her. So she hasn't spotted Bond and Bond is just basically following down all these different alleyways, all very kind of enclosed and Bond following. And eventually we get to this like small courtyard type area surrounding by all these buildings. It's like... It's a courtyard, but it's very kind of dark, really. Um, so Bond sees a man with a gun watching this small courtyard. So he just sneaks around and shoots him really quick, which is quite a cool shot because you think Bond's in one place, but and the guy is looking that way, and then he just quickly shoots him in the head um, so he's not messing around. And Bond is watching Vesper and sees Vesper gives a briefcase of, we assume, the money um, to the man with the weird glasses, the one with the hat and the glasses, um, gives him the money but in classic bond fashion the man is just like oh you're there <laughs> because bond doesn't hide very well again oh. yeah oh yeah oh dear yeah. so yeah he's there so they 
they see Bond and he grabs her as a hostage and is like, I'll kill her, I'll kill her. Um, and I think Bond says, it, not if I kill her first, something like that. Mm. Um, so the sunglasses man, who has some goons with him as well, and they, they carry her away and they get carried into a building which is all walled off due to a construction. So there's like a sign saying construction in purpose and you see a load of like construction materials in front of it. So Bond goes in to follow and he sees a crack like there's a crack through the door so he peeks through and he sees that there's like some goons waiting for him so they're pointing their guns at the door waiting for bond to come through but he also sees like these yellow bags in the water which are full of sand i want to say they're sand i thought that was just air oh well i felt like something like puffed out of it when he shoots it later oh really sand wouldn't really make sense (laughs) <laughs> at all <laughs> i don't know how the things work in venice but i just assumed like yeah there's buildings that are collapsing so they just stick these big balloons at the bottom yeah so this is like an old venice building as you say it so it's like part of the canal so there's like a load of water in it so this building is almost like being floated by these big yellow bags so bond decides i'm going to shoot one of those bags so he shoots it to cause some commotion and then he starts shooting, he storms in and shoots the guards as well. And he then shoots another one of the yellow bags. And we see because the bags are being burst, the building starts sinking and water starts rushing in. And we cut to some reaction, well, not reaction shots, but people outside noticing the building starting to crumble. It starts to come down. And we see that Vesper has been locked in the middle of the room near the top in a lift, in like a metal old school sort of lift. She has been locked inside for some stupid reason. So... Bond starts walking up and the sunglasses man is just shooting at Bond and is missing and it's lots of shots of the building kind of falling apart and it then goes quiet for a little bit because Bond is kind of looking around with his gun and we see the goons looking around trying to find Bond as well and Bond just kind of knocks one of them out with a plank of wood and one of the guard falls down after being knocked to the middle and he's shooting his gun, which means he shoots some more of the bags that were holding up the building. Idiot. I know, really messed up. Um, And during all this commotion, the briefcase of the money falls into the water as well. It like slides away, I think, from the sunglasses man. He loses it and that falls into the water. So it's more shots of the building falling down from the outside. So Bond is like fist fighting one of the goons. The sunglasses man tries to shoot Bond. He uses that as a a body, the goon as a body shield. Even more shots of the building collapsing. Even more Bond fist fighting. (laughs) One of them like slices at Bond. So he like electrocutes him with a wire. um, And eventually he gets to the sunglasses man and he finds a nail gun as part of the construction thing. And he shoots him in the head, but it goes through the black lens of his sunglasses through his eye and kills him. Oh, this was exhausting to watch. Like, I feel like I go through different phases with this scene where sometimes I watch and be like, no, that's all right. That's not too bad. It's all right. But on this particular day, when I watched this film, I was like, I am not into this in the slightest. (laughs) I just find it so tedious. I think it's the Bond just fighting a load of people and just the building collapsing. It cuts so often to outside the building showing it collapsing and it doesn't look impressive i'm not really all that interested in it i just i think as an action scene it's fine but at this point in the film just having an okay action scene means it's pretty rough i'm just not interested in any of this that is happening and so i guess the sunglasses guy gets a cool death i think that's a really appropriate cool death a very james bond sort of death but 
Oh, I just don't find this very exciting or interesting. Uh, I I don't find the actual like fighting stuff too. I mean, it's it's very it's it's fine, you know. Uh, nail gun things kind of cool. I was actually going to say the complete opposite about the building being destroyed. I thought that was really impressive, and I think that's maybe coming off the back of like what we saw in Die Another Day with quite terrible CGI. I thought the building being destroyed looked really good. I was actually kind of surprised at how good it looked with all the 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 CGI of it collapsing, like the wide shots from outside. Um, I think they they kind of do a really good job selling that they are inside a collapsing building. I do agree that uh, where this is in the film is just too late, and it's like, yeah, I totally understand why by this point you just like, can we can we wrap this up now? But I do think. Just in a purely kind of visual level, they did a good job with the CGI. Oh, I agree with that, yeah. The building itself looks good. I, I think it's not the technical aspects of this scene. It's just the content itself. I don't care <laughs> about this building collapsing. Um, and I think they are trying to find like a a smaller scale action scene because that's what this film has mostly been about. Obviously, we've had some bigger action, bigger scale ones, but they want this more smaller one. So they've managed to keep it to this building in venice and it's, i guess it's an interesting idea i just don't think it stands it's not strong enough on its own um to support this and it just comes across as they have to kind of rush through it a little bit as well which is why i think the whole shots stand out to me in a negative way because they have to keep cutting to bond fighting goons and the building collapsing bond fighting goons the building's collapsing bond fighting goons and i'm just oh god um but because this was the end of the film, yeah, I think there was a consideration here to keep it short, but that almost makes it worse. I don't want it longer. I just don't want it, I guess. It's just... <laughs> but sometimes when I watch this film, it doesn't bother me. When I watched it for this one, it does bother me. So it's, okay. it's unfortunate. But there, I have flip-flopped on this film so often, and it mostly comes down to this scene and whether I enjoy it or not. And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. So at this point right. in time, I don't. Well, so, but then what would have made you enjoy it at another time? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> just, know. just the way it is. I guess just my mood, I guess, yeah. or something like that. You know, I think it goes to, I don't think it's specifically this scene, maybe. I think it's like, sometimes you're in the mood for a long film. Sometimes you can watch Lord of the Rings and be super into it some all the time. Sometimes you can sit down and watch Lord of the Rings and be like, I am so tired. I just want to go to bed or something. Like, yeah. I don't think I was necessarily in the wrong frame of mind for this, though. But this is the big signal of, you've been watching a film for ages, and now we're just going to do this whole other action sequence that is completely disconnected from anything else in the film. I think that fundamentally is not great, but sometimes I don't mind it, and sometimes I do. Right. Fair enough. So this ends with, well, the Sunglasses Man has been killed, so Vesper screams, and we see the lift that's in the middle of the room is starting to drop. So it's just about to go into the water because the building's collapsing with this lift. So it's about to go into the water. So Bond runs over and he goes to open the lift, but it's locked. And Vesper says she's sorry and then removes the key from the lift. Mm. So she locks herself in, is my understanding. Yeah, she locks herself in. Ugh. Um, so, <laughs> so the building is still... <laughs> I don't like that. Uh, the, the building is still collapsing. And... Because she's locked herself in, the lift then just drops directly into the water. So it's completely submerged. So Bond dives down and swims to the lift and he's trying to open it quite frantically but can't. And you see Vesper quite calmly looking on at this. So she's been submerged, but you've got a very calm Vesper and a very manic, crazy Bond. So Vesper swims over and holds his hand and 
kisses him one last time before letting out like this scream and she goes from being very calm to just suddenly taking in all this water and is very panicked and kind of starts reaching out as she's drowning um and eventually you just see her turn into a corpse basically and she starts floating with that harrowed look on her or like dead eyes and bond is able to like half open the lift and reaches inside but just can't get to her while screaming and we cut from that to shots above the water where bond comes up with vesper in hand so he was able to to get her out and puts her on top of the building that was destroyed and tries to bring her back but just can't um, and looks very distraught, extremely distraught, like very, very broken. Um, not like about to cry, just completely like, yeah, distraught is the best word I can think of it. So he like he's breathing very heavily, but he stops breathing so heavily and hugs the corpse. And we see somebody was watching all of this and it was Mr. White. And he walks away and he walks away with the briefcase full of money. The one that Vesper was there to exchange and... He now has the money. So I complained a lot about the action scene. This stuff is great. Oh, it's amazing. I love this stuff. Yeah, I, I don't quite buy about Vesper removing the key. That bothers me a little bit. But the way this is all shot with the way Vesper is and the way Bond is and the, the tragedy angle of all this is like as good as you could possibly do it. Well, for sure. But for being for being in a Bond film and having everything else that we've seen so far all the action, all that, all the quips, all the blah, blah, blah. But they still managed to get this in at the end and it is shot just so, so well and so kind of just front and centre in the camera. Like, as you say, you see her go from kind of looking on at Bond inside to then just drowning, like straight up drowning right in front of you and, and turning into just that that corpse, that lifeless body in front of you. It's it's really, it hits, it hits hard and it's it's kind of a, a very, well, a hugely emotional moment to end the film on. And just Bond's reaction, like the him being so crazy, it's it's how you know this means a lot. But you know, her drowning, you almost see it's shot like you're seeing what Bond sees, yeah, which makes it really more effective. And having her be stuck in this lift, it means that you're almost getting like a private showing in a sick way of somebody drowning, and that in itself is like, oh, it's quite, it's quite heavy. Um, but it's not gory or anything. It's just quite grim and bleak but it needs to be grim and bleak to sell this all um, and just seeing it all be underwater like it's already very blue as well i don't know if that was part of it the whole color choice of oh everything's blue but there is mm. something to be said about showing it underwater um, and her drowning like that yeah no it's great again i don't know if i quite buy the key stuff i, I guess the idea is that she's choosing to drown and die which may be quantum of solace kind of justifies that a bit more i'm not too sure if that's how that should have played out i might have liked it more if that wasn't an element of it and actually she was just locked in and there's nothing she can do but she kind of accepts her death before bond does i might have maybe liked that a little bit because it seems a little bit odd that she's basically committing suicide i no, i i like that though i think that works for me i i the the idea of it being that the, the guilt associated with what she's done is enough to make her want to end her life is I think that adds to the character for me. Okay, fair enough. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you could see it either way. That that also makes sense. I'm just not. I don't know. It doesn't matter too much because I think the scene is still very powerful and well done. I just i I might have been interested to see an alternative version, which is actually her making these decisions have put her in that situation, but she kind of accepts that rather than actually 
killing herself or being very deliberately killing herself. Mm. But like, I, it totally makes sense what you're saying. I can see that too. Yeah, so we're pretty much at the end of the film, more or less. We are we we see Bond. Uh, we're still in Venice, but we see Bond on the boat on his own. Uh, I don't know how much time is going to have passed here. Not I much, it, I don't not, think. Not not much, but but enough time for Bond to kind of gather himself anyway, um, because he's on the phone talking to M, sort of getting a debrief on the situation because MI6 have have been doing a bit of digging as well and. M says to Bond that uh, Vespa had uh, a French Algerian boyfriend, which is why she had that uh, Algerian knot necklace. Um, and this boyfriend was kidnapped by the organization that was behind Le Chief, whoever that mysterious Mr. White Man is, whoever he's dealing with. Um, yeah, they took her boyfriend and kind of blackmailed her, threatening to kill him. Um, and that's how they kind of got her into their system. Uh, now, I have a question is how far, I, I don't. Maybe I'm missing something here, but like, was she a double agent like from a long time back, or was it relatively recently, like when Bond got involved? Oh, I don't know. That's a very good question, though. I would assume it was all specifically for this, but at the same time, like, Le Chief was the one getting the money. So this almost feels like if Le Chief won the game, then she wouldn't have needed to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. This almost feels like a backup plan the organization built in. So potentially Vespa was all right and not really acti- like activated before it, she was needed. But then that doesn't... that go. It depends if you think Vespa is the traitor of Mathis's as well, I guess. Because if, right. if Mathis wasn't, then Vespa would have had to be involved the whole time to feed information. But then I guess she would have been feeding information to Le Chief. Yeah. So but, yeah, 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 and maybe actually, maybe this comes together. Maybe yeah. this is why the chief said Mathis is my friend to protect Vesper's cover. Yeah, that's that's absolutely it. It's got to be right. Damn, that does kind of make sense. We got there. We got there, folks. After seventeen years. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah. So M's basically saying that they've they've done the digging now on, on Vesper, and you know they paid too much attention to their enemies they didn't look at their their friends people inside the system which is a bit of a big oversight to be honest um and she she actually goes to ask bond you know how how are you doing and bond just completely ignores that uh doesn't answer at all and just says that she left her her phone and that she must have known that he would check it and m this is where mathis comes up speaking of mathis because m says oh this this must clear mathis then and bond says no you know, still keep on with him. Like he's still distrustful of him, basically. And then I guess that's why we do learn more in the next film about what happens to him. Um, M says, "If you, M's clearly like looking out for Bond a bit more emotionally here because she asked that question before, and now she's saying, if you need more time, and and Bond just like, interrupts and is like, why would I need more time? And then you get the line, the job is done, the bitch is dead." I'm pretty sure that's straight from the book, that that last line anyway. Mm. So he's clearly just cut that cord completely in his mind, kind of mentally, to to Vesper now. Um for now anyway. And uh <laughs> Yeah, he's he's cut the cord, it never comes up again. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, no, that's it now. We never think of Vesper at all. That's all wrapped franchise. up in a nice little she's dead, the bitch is dead, we can all move on. Yeah. <laughs> a nice neat 
bow on top. Oh, it really uh, came together nicely. <laughs> but no, with with Bond saying that, M then sort of probes a bit and says, "Well, have you ever thought about why you're still alive after uh, the torture scene?" And so M thinks that Vesper made a deal to keep Bond alive in exchange for the winning. So she did as much as she could, and that to an extent she probably knew she was heading to her death with what she knew and, and what she had done. So, yeah, like there is still a little bit of of something there for Bond to latch on to, potentially. But yeah, the trail's gone cold, according to M. And that's where Bond hangs up and and looks through. He's got this little pile of her belongings next to her on the boat and grabs her phone and actually sees a message on there, a text message that's labelled for James. And it's got... A name, it's got Mr. White, who we've known, but yeah, that's Mr. White. And a phone number for him as well, for Bond to to work from. Yeah, this is where I think M has that role and Judy Dench being Judy Dench is really, really strong. Yeah. I think she just kind of plays this perfectly. And we've we've had a little bit of this, I feel like, in other films. I can't really think specifically, but M just matter-of-factly explaining the situation and taking Bond through it and when... She, when she's all like oh you don't trust anyone do you james and he says no and m's like so you've learned your lesson that's all yeah. very all very good it's like she's not being super motherly or anything like that she's being very like uh, like okay good that's fine um and i think the the impact of the last scene to then transition that into m just explaining what's going on and catching you up and talking to bond it's it's all it's all good stuff like she's like the perfect person to be talking a lot in this next scene because you know someone like bond is not going to be talking a lot you just yeah. need someone like m to take you through it and she's just the perfect person for it bond is that just there to say you know one word answers basically in this and and just get it over with according to him yeah so yeah we have one last little bit of the film left so bond now knows about mr white and we cut to a car entering it's a very beautiful estate on a lakefront. Is this the same one that Bond was recovering at? Well, it looks very similar. I'm assuming it's in the same place somewhere in Italy because it certainly looks the same. Yeah, it um, looks like the same. It's very distinct. So I think it is. Yeah. And this car comes and drives in and Mr. White gets out and he goes and stands near the edge looking out to, as I say, this very beautiful scene. There's a lake out there and he gets a phone call and we hear the voice on the phone and it's clearly Bond saying, uh, Mr. White, we need to talk. And Mr. White replies, who is this? And as he says that, he gets shot. Gets shot from afar, from off screen, in his leg, which causes him to drop down to the floor, starts scrambling around in pain and crawling up to uh, the steps of this estate. And uh, as this is happening, like the Bond theme is like ever so quietly kicking in and building up momentum because the camera pans up to the top of the steps. And there's Bond, of course, uh, suited up, looking the part with a gun in his hand, and he looks down to Bond. Uh, looks down to Mister White and responds, "The name's Bond, James Bond." And there you go, Bond theme kicks in, and that's the end of the film. Oh, that's his name. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was James Band. James Bland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What an ending, though. I mean, oh yeah, hell of a last moment. We it- finally got it. Yeah. Yeah, that exciting thing and Bond being that. I don't... Yeah, it's tricky, though, because it's almost like portrayed like Bond has gone through his transformation to make Bond Bond. But again, I don't really buy that kind of thing, but I think that's just more me. But it's such a badass moment. It's such a cool 
thing to and the music is just perfect having that original bond theme kick in and having the line it's just ah oh, ah oh, that might have been the first thing they decided to do when making this film because it's just kind of a perfect way to end a, a reboot like this and you've got to give it to Dave Arnold, Arnold here. Like that version of the Bond theme, they they use it so many times later on, even when he's not the one scoring the film, because it is just so good. It's like probably what the best version of the Bond theme, personally. Yeah, it's just an updated version of the original, isn't it? Really, like yeah, to the point where you great. would just assume it might be the original if you weren't sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I think I guess this movie ends on this note of this cliffhanger. I guess we'll talk about it more next week, but. When I originally saw the film, I thought that was incredibly cool, the idea of this organization and not really knowing what's going on. It it takes a little bit of the edge of some of this stuff, but this was incredibly intriguing. I was like, what is this organization? Who are these people? I was actually really kind of... That was really exciting, that this reboot brought in this idea that they're clearly going to carry on in the next film. And actually having Bond meet up with Mr. White here was like, ooh, what's happening next? What's going to happen next? I was really excited by it all. Yeah, I was trying to think back to when I watched this. Maybe I just didn't really know as much about Bond back then, so I wouldn't have thought this. But I do wonder how many people would have assumed the cliffhanger, the organization, all those things that were mentioned throughout the film. Is this is this going to be Spectre? Like, is this going to be the return of like that sort of stuff? Because I don't know. That's kind of where your mind would go to when you hear the word organization and you're in a Bond film. But uh, I guess that's what they they leave for you to wait and see. The real hardcore is like, oh, that's clearly Smush. They're bringing back Smush? <laughs> I mean, they could have, I suppose. They would have had to Possibly, at that point. Yeah. They wouldn't have had the rights to Spectre then, I think. So, yeah. Hmm. It's an interesting one. But no, I, I agree. I like I like how this is the reboot of the Bond film. And it's not like, I don't think the Bond, I don't think like the franchise was in any massive danger. Not, not like financially, like at other times in the the history of it. But I think... Like this is like such a great thing to kick it off where you you got you've just had this great film and you know with it being a cliffhanger cliffhanger ending which I've not really done before like there is more to come and like this is now Bond in place ready to go it's such a a great like that's that's how you want to leave the cinema on that sort of note not like some other films we'll talk about later but yeah no yeah so that was Casino Royale and with this being a odd number film that means you go first Joe. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to keep this very short and sweet because I feel like we have talked a lot about this film and I think I've made pretty much my opinions very clear on how I feel. But this is number one. It's oh, number he's one just without, saying it, people. Ow. It, it's without a doubt. Like, Double I, I, looked, I looked at the list and there's just... Like, From Russia of Love is, is still very good, don't get me wrong, but there is just so much of this film that is flawless. I think, I think at the beginning... Um, uh, when we did our initial rankings of top fives and bottom fives, uh, you know, this hasn't really changed. But um, I think I might have mentioned then that, like, yeah, like everything about this was great, and even the pacing. I actually, I think I would retract that a little bit and say that that little section there between that we talked about the the, the torture and then the Venice stuff. I think that bit is does kind of take the wind out of your sails a little bit. Um, so it's definitely not perfect in that regard. But I think everything else is. I can't really think of a. a a bad moment in the film i think it gets the bond character perfectly it balances that that idea of the the character of him and where he comes from and the inner psyche of him to an extent and it also gets in the action and the quips and and the m scenes with m and 
yeah, like I, I really don't want to just repeat everything that I've said before, but like it's just, just a really great Bond film. It's just, it's great. When I look at your top five, though, I think they all have some version of pacing issues. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's probably. I mean, is there a film that doesn't in the Bond films, Bond franchise? I don't know, but this one, it, it was more apparent to me this time watching it. That could also be because we have watched twenty other Bond films beforehand as well. Yeah. That's the interesting point about this. The context is different for me watching this than it was any other time I've seen it. Yeah. So it's number one for you, Joe. It is. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay. I think it was number one overall for you, right? At the episode zero? It was indeed. All right. That makes sense. All right. So I guess it's me. Um, Yeah. Where to begin? It is Casino Royale. And I think the thing that stood out to me is that it's incredibly ambitious incredibly ambitious how much they try and ram in here that they're trying to set up a new bond they're trying to reinvent bond they're trying to like play off some of the older elements a little bit and try and do new twists and things like the bond girl they're trying to do differently and they're trying to adapt this book and bring it down to earth while also having a new bond while also setting up the franchise in as a whole while also telling a very different bond story with vesper and it's incredible just how much of it works. I think a lot of it is Martin Campbell coming back and his smart filmmaking, where a lot of these scenes are just, there's like a real style to this film and a real class to a lot of things, but it can also be quite brutal and gritty and quite harsh at the same time, and it does both of those sides extremely well. So as a film, it, it's a great film. It's a really great film. It's a really great time. Um, so as I already mentioned or just mentioned that this film does feel a little bit different uh, having watched all the other ones before it and I think that mostly means that some of this stuff with Bond and some of the references I already said it's hit and miss for me but yeah they're hit and miss for me some of this stuff I thought was actually not that great the stuff with the drink I didn't really like and I think sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't not a huge deal but I feel like I found this stuff a lot less charming now that I've seen the other 20 films in a row. Like, I just don't care about that stuff as much. And sometimes mm. they have a fun notes and sometimes they're not. And then the stuff with Vespa, overall very good. And like I said, this is a very ambitious film. They were trying to cram a lot in. So the fact that they did Vespa as well as they did is pretty damn impressive. But at the same time, because of how much they're trying to cram in and how much, how much heavy lifting the dialogue has to do, it does mean sometimes it falters. And I think sometimes these scenes are just a little bit off and don't work as well as they kind of should have done. Again, I still think Vesper's very good, and I think they pull it off very well, but some of these lines and stuff, I'm just like, that's a bit off, and yeah, we have to go back to the pacing of it. I didn't enjoy that Venice stuff all too much. I think there's still some really great moments in there. Vesper's death is still a really great, haunting moment that really sets up the character very well. I think that is great. And they do go through it quite quickly, but I just did not need another action set piece, and especially one that I don't think was all that interesting at the end of the day. It's not a very interesting set piece, a house collapsing in Venice, um, especially because it's like they're just randomly in Venice now, so we're just going to do this set piece. So it does get hurt by that pacing. It doesn't really mean the film is bad or anything like that, and I think a lot of those elements do work and are really strong, and I definitely did overall really enjoy it, but... You know, to me, it's like when I watch this film, I'm talking about one of the best Bond films ever made. It's right up there. It's a film I got a lot of nostalgia for. It's the first one I saw in the cinema. So I got a a lot of love for this film. I think a lot of it is really great. But we're now talking about ranking these films. So I have to look straight at the top. And this one's quite easy. 
it's better than Thunderball, everybody. <laughs> so, so it yeah, goes straight yeah. above four. And then from Russia with Love, I think I much prefer this film. It's just more my style of Bond. So now we come down to GoldenEye and Casino Royale, which makes sense because they were directed by the same people and had a lot of the same goals. And do I like Casino Royale or GoldenEye better? And I'm going to say that I like GoldenEye better than this. Mm. So that means I'm going to put GoldenEye number one and Casino Royale at number two. I think GoldenEye is just a lot more consistent and there's a lot more memorable moments. And a lot of the strength of that film is also the strength of this film, the mix between style and action, but also kind of more smaller moments and some of the humor as well works quite well in both of these films i think both of them are really strong films that do a lot of the things in a very similar way but i think overall as a complete film i think golden eye is better and my problems with golden eye is more like the villain and the pacings could be a little bit better but it's still pretty good and i think a scene royale some of my problems is i just make it a little bit worse um not to say that it's like a ton worse than golden eye or anything like that it's very close and ask me again in a few years time i might swap them but we are talking the top of the top and my favorite like films here so i'm going to put golden eye number one and slot in casino royale at number two underneath it you don't you don't have to make all that stuff up tom i know why you're putting golden eye top one word <laughs> or off yeah <laughs> hell yeah hell yeah yeah i i actually did think that you were still going to keep golden eye top um because I just think back to that episode and just how much you were, you know, complimenting it. And um, it, it makes sense as well. Like, you're right. It's the same director. Martin Campbell has a great track record in the Bond franchise. I do wonder if he'll ever come back. He's quite old now, but uh, I think he's still making films. I'd like him to come back. I, I have faith in him. I would as well. It's a massive shame he didn't do the sequel to Casino Royale. That's like one of the biggest yeah. tragedies in this franchise. He should have come back to do that sequel, but he just did. I don't know why, but he just didn't come back for Quantum of Solace. Yeah, and that, and that kind of links in to what you were saying. This Casino Royale is such an ambitious film, so much so that it's not even really finished in one film, and you you have to have another one. And so that's why we end up with the first proper sequel in a Bond film, uh, like a direct sequel coming up. Well, I guess if you include Diamonds Are Forever, but that's <laughs> yeah, that's like a little bit funny that one, isn't it? So yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. A little bit. But no, this this was great to go back and revisit Casino Royale. I did have a good time overall. But yeah, I definitely saw it in a different light because I saw the other 21 films. It, I think when I originally saw this and when I generally see it, it's more in a vacuum. Or when you originally saw it, it was like four years after Die Another Day. So this was such an incredible breath of fresh air and such an exciting new direction for the franchise that it, it's still those things. But nowadays we have a complete set of films for Daniel Craig and seeing them so close together it just feels different um so i think i probably would enjoy this film more independently of a rewatch and actually maybe like watching this film in this way is not the right way of doing it it's better to just completely separate it and just be like i'm in the mood for some bond all right let's check out some daniel craig films rather than trying to watch this after 20 other bond films yes yes i mean i i really enjoyed this and i put it top for this watching and this ranking I think I would have liked it even more if it was in that situation instead where I just popped it on and have not watched hours and hours and hours of Bond beforehand. I think everything would have actually been elevated even more so than it it was now. So 
yeah, I think that definitely cements where it is going in my ranking just because this wasn't even in its best situation to watch it and I still really enjoyed it. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Oh, so it's begun. The final uh, lap, I suppose, the Craig era. Yeah. It's a really good start for Craig. Yeah, I'm sure it will continue. I hope so. No, I'm actually, I am looking forward to Quantum of Solace. It's been absolutely years and years and years, way longer than when I'd last watched Casino Royale, when I'd watched Quantum of Solace. So uh, I'm I'm curious for how I'm going to feel. Uh, I'm also going to be thankful that it's a shorter film, the shortest <laughs> Bond film. Uh, I just need to remember to get my earplugs for the title sequence. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. oh. That's one I way said to it. die. Yeah. No, yeah, I forgot about that. That makes me sad. But yeah, no, sorry. I don't know what I'm going to think of this film because watching it so close to Casino Royale is probably not a good way of watching this film either. <laughs> it's probably better to watch it independently. So yeah, I ranked it, I think I ranked it in my bottom five before. So I don't know, so much has changed. I'm a different man. A different man than I was. So anything can We've happen. all grown. Yeah. Considering yeah. how like not great films like The World Is Not Enough was. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the only thing I really remember is the opera scene, and I remember that being good, so I hope that's still good when I watch it again. I think I actually remember most of that film, I think. Anyway, <laughs> we'll find out very soon. We'll find out, yeah. So any last thoughts before we go, Joe? Uh, I think I might go make a Vespa. What's that? What's in a Vespa? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go and look it up. Well, if Gin. you want a Vespa, you've got to uh, get a lift, lock a woman in it, submerge it in, into water. <laughs> right. Excuse me. Hello? Anyone? Uh, no. All right. I'll, I'll try and work on that. Yeah, I think you'll get there. All right. So thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode 21 of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week with Quantum of Solace. <laughs>